0: We are in the fourth and final week of our series, Four Days in Colossae, and we've been following closely as Paul has been writing to this young, impressionable church. We can almost imagine them gathering together to talk about the faith, hope, and love that they received from Christ, wondering how they can emulate that for the rest of the world. We can almost picture them strategizing how to resist all of the false teachings that were swirling all around them with this new religion present. We can understand their struggles and doubts trying to live out what Jesus taught. Well, today we will focus on chapter three where Paul reminds the Colossians that in Christ they have been made alive. So, here now our reading from Colossians chapter three, verses one through 17. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in glory. When Christ who is your life is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication and purity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must rid yourself of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourself with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator." In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive." Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. May God bless the reading of the word. Well, over the last week, I took advantage of all the spare time I had and tried to read all of the fiction books that I had been collecting up over a while. I had some books that I needed to read before I start this program in Boston, because I know I'm not gonna have as much time, books I needed to return to the library. So I read and read and read, and that's how I filled most of my time. You know, I don't really remember a time before I liked to read, but I do remember when it became an obsession of sorts, or a hobby, maybe is a better way to say it. In elementary school at Rosenton Elementary, across the bay, we had to read to obtain AR points. Did anyone have to do AR points, accelerated reader? All of the books in the library had a colored dot on the spine indicating its difficulty level. And so we were all challenged. Everybody had to read a certain amount of books to get a certain amount of points so that you could have a day off of school, basically. Um, So every semester, they would give you a goal, and if you reached that goal, you could go rollerblading or bowling or come to the Explorium, whatever the field trip was for that year. And so me and my friends would be a little competitive with this because you could go over the goal, and the person who read the most amount of books and took the test and got the highest scores would get a special prize too. So my friends and I, it was very common that before school, we would be reading and before waiting for the bell to ring, we would be reading, and I remember very clearly one day we had to have been in about fourth grade. A friend and I were sitting together, and we were you know reading chapter books, so there was some mystery in the book, like how's it gonna, what's it, what's gonna happen in the book, and I was about halfway through, and she was beginning a new book, and I was totally floored when she, rather than starting on the first page, flipped to the very end of the book. And started reading the last chapter first. I thought and said out loud, What are you doing? You can't read the end of the book first. Like, what are, this is, this goes against all the rules of reading a book. And she said so simply and with such certainty, Yes, I can. I like to know what's going to happen before I start the book. Now, I understand this sentiment when it comes to driving, let's say. I am terrible with direction. So if I'm going to get to a new destination that I've never been to, I have to know where I'm going so I can plug it into the GPS. I may not know what's gonna happen between here and there, but as long as my GPS knows where I am going, I will end up where I'm supposed to be. The same thing with cooking or baking. You know, if I don't know what I'm trying to make, or if I don't have a picture of what I'm trying to make, the final product, It can be really difficult to know if you're doing the right thing. But with books, this just really appalled me. Books are supposed to be read in a certain order. Otherwise, it takes away the mystery of it, the surprise, the author's intent. But she took a lot of comfort in knowing where the book was going before she even started it. And while I cannot say that I took on her Idea with this. I do not read the end of books first. Perhaps she was on to something. In our passage today, Paul reminds us that Jesus, in his ministry, was telling people where they could be going. Colossians 3 begins with this glimpse into this heavenly throne room where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And I started thinking about this because it says in verse 4, when Christ who is your life is revealed, you also will be revealed with him in glory. So think about this for a second. We know where we are going to this heavenly throne room. So I want to ask you, this will be a little bit of participation. When you think about this place where we are going, this heavenly throne room, what comes to mind for you? What do you see? What do you hear? Is it quiet? So the nine o'clock service said they hear singing, angelic voices singing praises to God. Someone also said they picture light, just brilliant light all around in this heavenly place of glory. Someone even said, I picture the heavenly feast that we will have when we are there with God in glory. I'm sure we all could say things and have different opinions about what we picture when we try to imagine what it will be like when we are one day with God. But Paul is telling us here that while it may be difficult right now to imagine that one day we won't have to. In our baptisms, we believe that we died to our old ways and were given new life in Christ. And in that moment, a piece of ourselves was hidden away with God in glory. In that moment. So Paul is teaching these brand new Christians that they can trust God to keep God's promise. And in the meantime, we are called to live into the new life that we have been given in Christ. Paul starts this passage way up high in the heavens, in this bright, heavenly, amazing place, before bringing us abruptly, figuratively, and literally down to earth in verse 5. Like a coach or a parent, he is telling the Colossians, it's time to clean up your lives. He says, now that you know who you are living for, now that you know where you are heading, there's no longer room for actions or behaviors that won't help other people go in that same direction. So he writes out this list of vices for them to avoid. Things that he says, you do not need that stuff anymore. He says, put to death whatever in you is earthly. These are the ways you once followed when you were living that life. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things. For Paul, this is a black and white issue. If you are a Christian who claims to follow after the life of Christ, if a part of your soul is hidden away in glory with God, we've got to live like it. We've got to walk the walk, talk the talk. He says, if you want this to be your reality, if you want that to be where you're going, then start living like it now. So he tells this young church, he says, there are some things you can replace those bad habits with. So in verses 12 through 14, he says, replace the former with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. He urges them to bear with one another, forgive each other, and clothe one another in love. Notice the difference between these two lists. The first list are things that separate us from one another. They cause pain between each other. They're things that we do in anger or sadness or hatred or fear of the other. And the thing is, when we are separated from each other, that in turn separates us from God. You know, Jesus said the greatest two commandments are to love God and love your neighbor. And so when we are separating ourselves, making it more of us and them, we are getting further and further away from the one body we were called to be in Christ Jesus. Paul says, you don't need to do any of that stuff anymore. Work on things that will bring you together, not tear you apart. So then he pivots to the second list, where he encourages the Colossians to put on the fruit of the Spirit, these gifts that are only from God. Paul's idea of thriving for this community is deeply relational. And he tells them that all of these things are to build up their Christian community and and to bring about unity and peace among the believers. Love, compassion, patience, and forgiveness, these are not individual characteristics. They require that you are in relationship with someone else for them to be true and acted upon. So these are divine gifts that are given to us so that we can put them on as the body of Christ. So Paul, he's pushing the Colossians to see that their new life, this new made-aliveness that they've been given in Christ, it doesn't have to start when they enter into eternity, when they actually see the place they're going. Paul is saying, you have been given life to live now, here, and to show people a different way. So as we continue making our way to our eternal home, to the place where we are headed, we can live into that identity as individuals and as a church community. So how do we do that practically? How do we, as Ashland Place United Methodist Church, live into this new identity? How do we live as though we are alive? Well, we can look and see that what Paul said to the Colossians is still really good advice for us today. The first thing Paul says is we must change our appearance. Paul uses the imagery of putting on clothes to symbolize that when you become a Christian, when you say, I have faith in God, part of my soul is hidden away in glory, that you are supposed to believe differently, you're supposed to think differently, But Paul is saying your very self, the way you act, the way you speak, the way you behave in the world, is supposed to reflect that change that happened on the inside. And so out of that deep well of love and mercy and compassion that we have been given, we are to generously and without reserve give those same things back to others that we encounter. The second, we are to be intentional in our relationships. This letter was written to a community of people. And just like we are a community of people who obviously have some things in common, we are not all exactly the same. And we're grateful for that. We bring our experiences, our backgrounds, our unique understandings about God and the world, and we bring it together to be the body of Christ. And we see in verse 11, That in this new life, there's no longer Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all and in all. So if we want to live as though we are alive, we have to tolerate one another's differences. We have to forgive each other when we inevitably get it wrong. We have to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and we have to seek to see the Christ in all people number three we must make the choice to be alive in christ all that paul writes in this letter is voluntary paul could no more make the colossians follow all of his advice here than he could make us follow the advice here in 2022 it is a decision and in it paul is putting forth advice that he believes if the colossians heed this advice that they as individuals and they as a community will look more like Jesus. And we are called to do the same thing. We're called to set our minds on things that are above. We are invited to clothe ourselves in the fruit of the Spirit. We are encouraged to be bound to one another in love. And we are challenged to let the word of God dwell in us richly. If we follow this advice that Paul wrote so long ago to the church in Colossae, our lives and our community will look more like Jesus. We may not know all that is ahead of us on this journey called life, but we can take comfort knowing where we are going and knowing that we have been given all that we require to live into that new life here and now. May we be so bold to live as though we are alive. In the name of God, our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen.